This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Kia ora and welcome to Reserved Recommendations. This is a show about great trash, difficult art and our complicated relationships with art and culture. My name's Hugh, I'm the host of the show and I'd like to take this opportunity to put in a very mild content warning for the show as a whole. Sometimes our recommendations on this show are reserved just because the thing that we're discussing is in some way not good, but sometimes there are aspects of the art or artist that may be confronting for some people. Check the episode descriptions for more information and do be aware of your listening environment. Good evening and welcome. This is uh, indeed Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast about uh, great trash and problematic faves. And this evening I am joined by uh, Hannah Blake. How's it going? Good. Managed to get in without uh, being absolutely melted away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a glimpse behind the curtain. We're actually recording this in the afternoon and it's doing like some of the weirdest spring weather that I've seen in a while. It's like transitioning between kind of hose type rain. And uh, if I glance through to the other studio now, like shiny, bright, blue clear skies and sunshine so you get one or the other but nothing in between uh today um so people if they do know you will probably know you as ex fundy feminist on uh twitter assuming that twitter hasn't like <laughs> imploded, imploded at this stage yes, it's working on it but it keeps kind of persisting um yeah yeah Yes, if people do know me, they'll probably know me from Twitter. Uh, I do also have an Instagram and I'm trying to get up a Substack. But yeah, they will most likely know me from Twitter. So what people might might grasp from that name then, though, is that that you have a background within, within fundamentalist communities. <laughs> and uh, the reason that that's relevant to bring up is that the thing that you sent me is, is a, a wonderful kind of cultural oddity because it's a thing that I would never have um, experienced left to my own devices. Um, it's, a, it's a radio series called Adventures in Odyssey. And specifically, um, I listened to a little uh, two-part series if people want to go and find what I, I heard. They're like half-hour episodes, so it's not an enormous time commitment. Um, but I, w- I listened to the, the little two-parter called Castles and Cauldrons, which is their contribution to the uh, panic around the dangers of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, but maybe, d- like, do you want to like describe what Adventures in Odyssey is from a standing start? Well, Adventures in Odyssey... Uh Coming from it from like my personal perspective, Adventures in Odyssey was the radio show that we would listen to as kids, as Christian kids growing up. It would be on at 6.30 every night, so after dinner, Adventures in Odyssey. Um, and credit to them, it was well produced. Um, yeah, it sounds it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hired really good actors. Uh, Focus on the Family has a lot of money. They're yes. really well established. They got established back in the 70s. So by the time that they were producing this in the 90s, uh, in early 2000s, they had a large sort of yeah, and draw upon. I guess they really go in on the ground floor of the thing. This is the thing that I never really participated in because my, my religious upbringing insofar as I had one was Quaker, which is basically just you participate in the world and then you have conversations at home about why they're wrong about various <laughs> things. Um, but, but it's, you know, everything, they've got this idea of convincement that you have to come to things by yourself. You can't just be kind of didactically told stuff um so it doesn't have that like parallel media ecosystem where you have like worldly music and entertainment and then you have like the good christian music and entertainment Mm. uh and and i guess focus on the family really got in on the ground floor with that well, they, it's interesting. I've literally just been reading this week a book called Jesus and John Wayne, which shows the evangelical movement over the last hundred years. And it talks about how the difference between the evangelical movement and any other Christian movement that we've seen is that it's essentially a commercial marketing base where you don't, it's all consumerism. So you're consuming the media through. Uh, they got in really early on radio stations and on TV stations, and they figured out that the way to get the message 
like reaching beyond an nomination was to do it through the form of media. So now you've got this huge almost pseudo pop culture Christianity and focus on the family definitely got in, not necessarily on the earliest group, but definitely in the earlier stages and established themselves as a real household name. Well, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, the 70s is fairly early for mm. that mm. stuff. Like the the really – or at least in terms of it it being a big enough thing that to my reasonably secularized brain, I, I, I would recognize it happening on the way past – like contemporary Christian music and that kind of thing didn't mm. didn't really seem to be a thing that that was in my world until like the late eighties at the very earliest. Yeah, they talk about it happening in the late seventies and early eighties in terms of contemporary Christian music. They reckon they got in on uh, the ground floor with country music, and that's uh, right. where they first started mm-hmm. getting. And hence the John Wayne, um, all that sort of like era was when they started getting sort of like the pop stars of the day converted and then pushing these things. Yeah. Yeah, it's very very interesting. But anyway, that's that's just a segue. So Focus on the Family produced Adventures and Odyssey. It was the thing in New Zealand. It was played on Radio Rima. Uh, and they had a magazine that went with it. They had everything. We subscribed to it. And they also did a bunch of other radio dramas. They did, like, the Narnia Chronicles, and they did them all very well. Uh, so it was all very entertaining, but it was propaganda. <laughs> well, that's, so that was the thing that struck me, because I listened to the to the Castles and Cauldrons, that's the, the D&D one, and then I just listened to another episode at random, and they start with uh, little like plugs for other stuff that Focus on the Family has. And they had this, um, I think it was a, the the other episode I listened to, um, had an ad for a Focus on the Family produced comic superhero comic book series, which was about the adventures of Captain Absolute versus his arch enemy, Dr. Relative. And I went... Oh, oh, because, you know, I listened to Castles and it, Castles and Cauldrons is kind of like the funny side of the D&D panic. Their idea of what Dungeons and Dragons is and how it might be dangerous to you is very kind of like it's quite innocent and comical. Well, it's it seems funny mm. to people who are outside of it. It terrified me as a child because you take it seriously. You really believe like everyone genuinely believed that if you engage with that kind of stuff, you were opening up essentially a portal to demon influence in your life, um, possibly possession if you weren't, like, saved enough. Oh. So it was genuine. Like, that, that was – it seems comical, but that was a genuine description of what they thought could happen. Oh, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, look, I, um, I, I was a tabletop role-playing games guy. I, I, I'm not so much these days largely through, like – time concerns basically but when i was into tabletop role-playing games that was the late 90s and early aughts so it was peak world of darkness like vampire (laughs) werewolf like the like dark gritty serious emotion stuff and there were certainly people who got far too into those games in particular in ways that had quite bad effects on their lives like i could definitely see i don't know it seems uh perhaps gauche to make the comparison but it's kind of like like drugs or alcohol like there are some people who can take some drugs and can drink alcohol and it's not a big problem for them but there are some people for whom a particular drug or alcohol which is a drug like just fits into their brain like a key in a lock and it's exactly the wrong thing and it's their thing forever and they're doomed and there was there were some people who had that kind of relationship with it but it's you know the they had uh, this this show had the idea that that uh, that Dungeons Dragons would like warp reality around you and and transport you to other realms where you became you know vulnerable to psychic attack. Yeah, so the, it's interesting that you bring in the the drugs and alcohol reference because again, the huge issue that the Christians that I grew up with had with drugs and alcohol, apart from their secondary effects of obviously not mm. being very good if done to excess, is the fact that they thought that they would make you vulnerable to demonic influence. So it wasn't even the substances or the impacts on your body themselves that were the major concern. It was the fact that 
they will put you in a vulnerable state and that's how the demons get in. So everything really is based around this concept of a spirit world um, and the way that the spirit world, it's very superstitious in many ways. Yeah, and the (laughs) idea that there's like a wrong way to use your imagination and if you do that, it can be Oh, so many wrong ways to use your imagination. (laughs) Like I have diary entries where I am berating myself for spending too much time just doing creative writing. Nothing, uh, my creative writing was very because of the environment I was raised in. It was very religious. Uh, But it was too much time spent that was not focused on. So it it becomes very narrow. And yeah, and so these sorts of um, adventures and odyssey, as as you said, there was sort of an entire uh, subculture of Christian media, we never listened to anything that wasn't Christian growing up unless it was classical, which got a pass because of age. (laughs) Yeah, I guess because there's no words, it becomes Mm. like uh, kind of apolitical. Like whatever it's communicating, it's communicating in an abstract enough way that there aren't like ideas in there that could hurt you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so – you know, grow until um, I mean, I started sort of getting. I mean, you'll go into a shop and you'd hear a song or that kind of thing. And um, sometimes I would go and visit friends who would have the TV, so I'd catch like one episode of The Simpsons or something like that. But I never really engaged with outside media until I was sixteen. So you know, Adventures and Odyssey was very much our entertainment. So I have a lot of affection for the show, but listening to it now, I'm. It's it's still entertaining, but it's horrific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can see that, and and I mean, I guess to 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 go in and think more specifically about the uh, about the specific episode about uh, about role playing, um, mm. the the guy who they set up as the bad influence, the cousin who comes into the to the sort of idyllic small town existence of this little boy and, and brings the game castles and cauldrons with him is set up as like uh, he's been sent there to kind of get straightened out because he's already mm. like going off the rails. There's this real, um, you know, you can always see the consequences of worldliness, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's done quite subtly. It is. And there's sort of, there's a lot of, like listening back to it now, there was a lot of sort of like implications, like it clearly his parents hadn't been paying enough attention to what was going on. They didn't really know what was wrong with him, you know, so there's that whole, uh, and focus on the family, because you had to see these episodes within the relation to the wider system of focus on the family. So they had they had these episodes, but they also had a lot of talk shows, a lot of books. And I used to, as a homeschooled fundamentalist child, listen to the talk shows in the morning and then I would listen to Adventures and Odyssey at night. And you would have a lot of the subjects of their talk shows was on parenting and on family, focus on the family. And uh, one of the things that they kept on going on about is how you had to basically be constantly, you had to know what was going on in your child's world to the point of basically stalking them. Like you had, <laughs> like your child should have no secrets, essentially. Um, and so, you know, within the subtext of that show, there's very much a, the parents should have known what was going on. They needed to be paying closer attention. They were probably in a big city. The mum probably had a job. You know, there's all these implications that come with it that people may not necessarily pick up on if they're just coming from outside. Yeah. And um, I've completely forgotten the guy's name, but like the central focus on the family guy, he wrote an enormous amount about child rearing and like... James Dobson. Yeah, that's that's the guy's name. Yeah, he he did an enormous amount of stuff. Yeah, well, he was a child psychologist. He did have a degree. He even worked in a hospital for a while. But yes, this was his. his, um, He grew up in a very evangelical family. He grew up um, with itinerant, like, evangelical parents that 
travelled all over the states and then the, the whole mother, tent revival thing. Yeah, yeah, and then the mother stayed to look after him, and then apparently he became rebellious as a young teenager, and his father came back and and dealt with him by sort of teaching him how to shoot, and they did all these manly man activities, and and so basically his entire thing was if children don't have enough discipline. Um, and parental involvement, they're going to go off the rails and they're going to go crazy and and, and um, the communists will win. Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. he was very much from that. It was very much that whole, like, the communist, socialist, Marxist, you know, they, they all had, was were a league with the devil. Um, and it sounds ridiculous, but it is very much the essence of what they were doing. They believed that they were defending this nuclear family against the attacks of the world, and this was the way that they were doing it. And he very much focused on child discipline uh, specifically, and his ideas were honestly horrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've heard a little bit about him from other places, and yeah, he's, he's one of those uh, – spare the rod, spoil the child types and in quite unpleasant ways. Well, he was one of the most moderate mm. within the circles, which is something. Uh, <laughs> he certainly wasn't um, a Michael Pearl or anything like that. Um, but it was very much – it was because of his education, because he knew how to frame things, unacceptable things, in acceptable language, it sounded good. And it sounded that if you didn't have the degree behind you, if you didn't understand, because, you know, psychology was still very, particularly in the 70s when he started, it was still a relatively new field of study, um, particularly for Christians to take interest in. Uh, it all sounded very good. It sounded very sensible. Um, and it sort of repackaged what a lot of, parents at the time would have kind of taken from because they we had a very corporal punishment society like in the 50s and 60s and oh yeah like when i was at um primary school in wanganui and so this would have been like 1985 or something like that um the the principal was still gonna hit us if we did stuff wrong. Yeah. yeah uh, it had been somehow localized to only the principal would do it. But <laughs> but like it it was still like a, a, a factor in New Zealand schooling. Yeah. Uh, mainstream schooling at that point. Yeah, and I still think it is in the States. Um so I think they have even more of a corporal punishment. So, you know, within the context of the time where he started, it was a lot more acceptable what he was saying than it is now. But unfortunately, the people who listened to him then still think his ideas are great from then now, and they are very it's, much. I not. mean, it, it is that thing where he's he's also kind of got the trick of, um, you know, like the trap of common sense. Mm. You, know, you phrase something so that if you don't think about it very hard. Mm. Uh, or you don't think about why things are that way, it, it's very much in line with accepted practice. And so it's very easy to say, oh, well, it's obviously common sense that we should yeah, whatever. And he is a very sort of like he is a very uh, – like he himself is actually quite a charismatic person. He, yeah, had a, he, he had a very sort of like fatherly, paternal sort of he like – comes on on the Castles and Cauldrons episode with yeah. like a special message to to talk to you about the, the dangers of imagining things wrong and also like make sure that your parents are tuned in for that bit. Um, and yeah, he's, he is. He's got this very kind of genial fatherly thing. Yeah, yeah. Once – like I've started watching um, some video – footage of some of his like talks in the 90s and I lost that thing because he comes across a lot less genuine actually in video than he does in the radio <laughs> maybe that's why he's stuck to radio like yeah he comes across as honestly a bit uh uh sadistic in a way like he he thinks a lot of like childhood pain is funny Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, but again, like it, it hooks into something in people's brains, right? Mm. Like there's that whole like uh, drink from the 
the hose fall off things, break your limbs. Yeah, yeah, the haha, we were the last kids yeah, to have that. Cotton sort of, wool, so on and so forth, yeah. brigade. And, and it, that hooks right into that bit of your brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, they're very clever at what they There's a reason that they have such a large empire. Uh, but yeah, so going back to the, the episode, so um, I've only lightly played some I, I wanted to um, but the friend that was organising it moved town <laughs> uh, that, look that is the uh, fundamental tabletop role playing experience is being <laughs> unable to do it because of timetable problems yeah uh, but obviously this is you know a decade out of uh, having left um, the fundamentalism that I grew up in um, and it was hilarious because I mean obviously you get like anyone, um, and I've had a lot more experience with like MMOs and that kind of thing, and that's a very similar kind of mentality in many ways, the way that you build your character and everything like that. There's obviously people that get super into it and to an unhealthy level, but it's not at all the kind of sinister uh, that is portrayed in, in castles and cauldrons, and and it's interesting. We were having a laugh listening to it last night, me and my husband, because we were like, "This is the first episode, particularly like the you know with the overly keen, <laughs> the overly keen sort of like convert to the game is like, no, you have to take it all seriously. You're breaking character, and you can kind of see how they've taken that and they have warped it, but then they move it so much further than it would ever go, even with someone that had taken oh. it incredibly seriously because it's just not what happens. <laughs> Look, absolutely. I mean, that was the thing that I wanted to touch on, actually, is that the way that the the cousin, is he Len, is, um, is framed when he's trying to get the, his younger cousin into the game is actually quite creepy. Like, it's it's sort of wheedling and there's this... It's very ins- non-consensual. Yeah, he forces exactly. them into it. It's yeah. a lot like like a sort of uh, exaggerated, hyper-accelerated grooming kind of thing, you know? Like it is, it the, is, yeah. The, the vibe they're pushing is that role-playing is f- functionally the same as child abuse on some level, um, yeah. like, or, or, or it appeals to the same kind of... Uh, perverts and and yeah near duels and yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and in a way i guess it, it very much echoed their message messaging on drugs at the time too because you think about it, this was put out in the 90s like yeah 90s. where like the concept is that that you know you will encounter drugs as a result of like a bad actor who's yeah someone's going to hit you up in an alley randomly yeah, and be, be like, like hey, hey kid want hey, some kid. drugs yeah exactly <laughs> like like the whole like uh, mindset of we're going to we're going to waste incredibly expensive drugs yeah, by exactly. by um putting them on <laughs> either them candy or or my favorite is we're going to adulterate our very cheap drugs with very expensive <laughs> drugs <laughs> that will be damaged by the mode of consumption of the cheap drugs this is specifically a reference to if you've ever heard it the urban legend about spraying LSD onto cannabis oh, yeah, which, because like, burning not... LSD destroys it yeah. and cannabis is a tenth of the price of LSD so like it, it makes no sense from any possible <laughs> angle but yeah yeah oh so many so many weird drug myths but yeah it was very much you know because and, and they are an American show and I know that um it was sort of like just coming out of and still in the era where they were really pushing the whole like dear drugs thing and and so it was very much sort of like associated well tried to make it associated uh, with that culture where they're sort of like oh yeah these these people and and their that age difference too mm. that was obviously very intentional what I found really weird. Um, not just in these episodes, but in the one that you, uh, that Mike makes right. Yes, yeah. And so you've got this man, Wit, right, Do- uh, Mr. Whitaker, and um, and he runs this like science centre slash cafe for kids. And you've got this kid coming in terrified because he thinks he's going to be absolutely pummeled to a pulp at school. And not only does the proprietor offer him 
like a Sunday and go like basically good on your champ. He doesn't think of telling his parents. And you've got all these kids here coming, telling their deepest, darkest fears to this random adult. Yeah, and that's perfectly <laughs> fine because that that adult is like uh, designated by the show as as yeah. godly and and like he's even like slightly psychic. Like during the castles and cauldrons episode, he gets ill because of like the the miasma of evil that's coming. So off that was the game. a big thing, actually. That was a big thing. That was um, it was a very common. Uh, thing that people claimed <laughs> happened anyway was that they would feel ill in the presence you of know, demonic activity. You know what? I That actually joins a dot for me because back when I was in high school, so this would be like 1995, something like that, we had this person come in. It was, she was from like uh, – maybe like the Tibetan Buddhists or something. But she came in and presented to an assembly and she got us to do this meditation for world peace thing. I can't remember what the the reason it was said that this should happen. But there was this guy who was in my class who I knew he was some sort of Christian, but I didn't really know what kind. But he claimed there were like, while we were trying to do this meditation for world peace, which was like, if you have any uh, experience with meditation, it's it's like a really basic mindfulness. Like, just concentrate on your breath. Imagine that as you breathe, you're breathing positivity out into the world. So it's something like really, really mm. basic, um, not not religious, not magical. It's just like, imagine peace that you and think. focus on breathing. <laughs> but he was talking about like the sensation of talons tearing into yes, his brain yes, yes, as a result. Of being common. exposed to this thing, yeah, um, and that was that was just astounding to me at the time. Yeah. But it kind of like that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So this idea was so um, again, it's really funny because a lot of people think of evangelical Christians as they want to sort of you know they really want to convince you of the gospel, but there's this entire like <laughs> mythos. An entire parallel universe, essentially, that they believe in. And some of them go into some really specific pseudoscience in order to describe and flesh this out. Um, And so uh, Derek Prince and Chuck Missler um, were two people that were really influential. They were both early proponents of specifically described demonic activity and how the whole universe works and uh Derek Prince had this thing where he was like Christians can't be possessed by demons but they can be oppressed right you can so be you attacked would, you can be attacked so so people would describe things like talons or like feeling physically um, weighted down or nauseous or something something that would be coming from like the outside or like a, a bad smell or a oppressive fear and that would be their sort of like description of how because you couldn't um, if, if you believed that you were possessed you were basically like I'm not a Christian yeah yeah, yeah I failed like, and you, yeah. yeah yeah I'm not currently saved <laughs> and and yeah. that's I mean that's interesting because because they kind of love the well, this is my observation from outside, but but the the culture seems to love the idea of the ex Satanist, like the guy who used to sacrifice babies and and be a heroin addict, and now is a, a revival preacher. So, but but admitting that you're currently in that state of of vulnerability because you've lost your faith is is bleh. You, yeah, it has to be a thing that's safely in the past. For somewhere. a churchgoer, that would be like you know, it would be kind of like declaring bankruptcy. Yeah. Like you could do it and you could do it, but it would be like that would be a very uh, – you would lose any responsibility or respect that you had within the church ecosystem essentially. Yeah, that's very costly. You would get a lot of attention and you'd get a lot – so for some people <laughs> – it's, it's weird. I don't want to because, again, I don't, I don't want to take away from anyone's uh, lived experiences or anything like that, but – Speaking frankly, coming from there was a lot of um, weird performative stuff that people kind of convinced themselves of is what I believe honestly is what it, people believed it, but they kind of created it within themselves to believe because that's what was supposed to happen. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and if you really believed that there was this constant war, like like physical but spiritual war going on, like wouldn't you be impacted by that a lot? Wouldn't there be random things? And so people used to blow all sorts of things out of proportion and claim that, you know, they saw the cover of a Harry Potter book and then they had this huge panic attack or whatever. And a lot of it was kind of very suggestibility kind of Yeah, like sort of mass self-help hypnosis kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that it wasn't real to them, but if they hadn't been told any of that, it probably would not have Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting because, I mean, to draw another dot, uh, I was – I can't remember how I came into contact with this guy, but I was somehow tied up with – I think it was maybe through my mum. Anyway – not important. The important thing was there was a rock that needed to be moved so that it could be like gifted to uh, a place from like the local iwi to say, you know, here's a marker of our respect for what you're doing. Um, and the way in which the rock was chosen was that I think it was one of the moiraki boulders, you know, the big round ones, mm-hmm. that the the komatoa went down to the beach and the wind blew his hat off and it landed on a particular rock and they were right, like, right, that's a sign. Mm. That's the one. That's, you know. And that's, that's – I don't want to say that's the same thing, but it's mm. it's like taking that impulse and allowing it to guide you in a positive direction rather than – allowing it to spin you into this kind of panic because you were near a paperback. Yeah, and I guess the thing for that is obviously that's a completely different cultural context, Um, so I don't want to compare the two too much. But uh, I think it's the difference between this is a set thing that we need to do within our cultural customs that sort of like happens. So it's sort of nobody comes up with it randomly. Mm. A gift needs to be given. We need to choose one. This is the way that we have of doing it. Yeah. Or, or, or this wasn't the way that we had decided we were going to do it, but this thing happened yeah, in the context where we needed to make this decision. It. Yeah. Whereas within the ecosystem of the evangelical charismatic, whatever, there's no prescribed reason that people need to go and start listening to the intuition or whatever. It's very chaotic. And and it's very much like it's kind of there's no uh, you know because there's certainly no set reason why you should go out looking for demonic influences. So people just kind of like they start making bigger and bigger lists of things that could be. Yeah. And then they start sort of like convincing themselves that they feel things off there. So like, oh, we had this CD in our home and then my son got sick. Clearly in order to remove the sickness, we need to destroy the CD. And so sort of like they started getting all these almost magical associations uh, with things. And it's sort of like it's it's a much more uh, – because there's no – there's no sort of like prescribed reason. There's no wider uh, cultural uh, need for it. It's just this chaos of people jumping to conclusions of based on almost this like the sympathetic magic system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's a good way to to, to explain it. Um, so I, I have some thoughts, but uh, we are around about at the halfway point. So we do need to take just a short break for station messages, and we will be back right after this. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. And we're back. You're listening to Reserved Recommendations. This is a radio show and podcast about uh, great trash and problematic faves. Uh, this evening I am talking to Hannah, also known as uh, Ex-Fundy Feminist on Twitter. Um, 
before the break, you were talking. We were talking a bit about this sort of uh, kind of chaotic magic worldview that you end up in, or, or you can end up in. And I guess the thought I had about that is that it feels to me like that uh, it, it plays into and is kind of a property of the way in which it's so commercialized. Like it. You, you're supposed to live entirely in – in fact, you probably could live your entire life consuming nothing but specifically focus on the family media. <laughs> yeah, actually, at this point, you probably could. Because, like, I, I checked and from – if I unless I got this wrong, um, Adventures in Odyssey is still going. It's at, like, thousands of episodes and a spin-off TV show and a spin-off video game series. <laughs> it's, like, it's still this massive thing. Um but uh, all of that stuff is is fundamentally created for commercial reasons, um, and so expecting that to uh, to have that kind of coherent cultural context that you can healthily live within is kind of like uh, expecting the magic in Harry Potter to be a guide to to. Like people who who live the kind of religious lifestyle where they practice magic as a spiritual practice, like it's like comparing the, the, you know some things are are just random grab bags of stuff uh, as opposed to having built up over time. Well, that's the thing is that it doesn't really work like that within the. It's weird, and the thing is, is because of it's this kind of like opting culture, right? Where you've got all these different like books and speakers and ideas and some of them contradict each other and some of the speakers themselves contradict themselves. Um, it doesn't really matter in this sense um, because uh, a lot of the culture is kind of built off this warped intuition um, and what can be justified at the time to what suits the individual, to be quite frank, or what suits the individual that's helping to counsel these others, what suits the power structure of that church, what suits the person who's trying to politicise the movement. You know, so there's all sorts of things that can be pulled out. Because it is not a hierarchical system, it's not like the Catholic Church. Yeah, there's no no central single source of truth. No, no. Well, the the Bible was seen as a centre, of course, an interpretation of a book. Yeah, and and it's quite different to a living church body where you've got to, and not that I'm necessarily saying that the Catholic Church, <laughs> but at least you then have a bunch of people who sort of can go, yeah, that sounds a bit dodge. And, no, that and within Catholicism, and to a greater extent within older traditions like Judaism, you have like historical records going back generations of people arguing about this stuff and writing down the conclusions of the arguments. So you can go, why do we think about this in this way? And then you can actually go and, and follow back the notes. And uh, Quakers have a similar thing. Like they they – see the Bible as, a, as a, a book that you refer to to get the word of God. But there's also a parallel book called Quaker Faith and Practice, which is updated, I think, four yearly at a committee meeting because Quakers committees. But like, you know, there is a record of all of the decisions we've made about what do we think about X thing and Y um, written in a committee format mm-hmm. because Quakers but you know like there there is this like and uh, you do have that with a lot of the more structured church systems Presbyterians Methodists Lutheran I mean they all have similar things and I think the thing that is powerful about evangelical culture is that they can pull people out of all these systems um, and based on the media that they consume they can all start to have these similar ideas even though they've got all these but you see but who reads all that necessarily like who's going to go through (laughs) all the notes and so you kind of have this um thing where it can sound like everyone takes everything seriously unless someone's proved to be a real bad faith actor like until somebody has a scandal the they are taken at face value Essentially, and you will have people arguing, saying, "Oh no, we have, we have, you know, the Holy Spirit will tell us, you know, whether or not that." But quite frankly, it clearly doesn't work like that because you keep on having people with huge scandals and 
after 20 years of very popular ministry. So uh, focus on the family, all their stuff. Like you could very easily just essentially, and people do, they live their lives based off it. Um, as exemplified by my childhood. You know, we had no non-Christian stuff in our house. Um, And it started getting smaller and smaller. Like um, we started not having crosses, for instance, because uh, they were considered to be probably more of a pagan influence on the Uh, church. That's dangerously close to idolatry, that is, yeah. Well, it was more like why would you... uh, make something like a symbol of sort of like what they did to Jesus. Yeah, there was this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I can um, I can I can see why you would you would take that as a logical position. Yeah, yeah, and you start getting into these smaller and smaller little logic spirals and everything within this sort of chaotic system does make a logical sense. Yeah, so long as you stay on the inside of it. So long as you hold these certain things to be true, which is that the Bible is absolutely accurate and that there is an active spirit. And so long as you hold all these things to be completely true, you start getting in weirder and weirder pretzel shapes to try and... (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, the the thing about the Bible, as we said, is that um, it's actually quite a uh, chaotic text you know it it's a text from even if you believe that it's divinely inspired and i'm not going to fight anybody about that because time and energy but like it is a text from multiple human authors which which intersect with each other in all of these different ways um you know famously all of the different accounts of genesis the different accounts of the life of christ that that don't line up and so in order to say this book is like inerrant you have to have decided how those things harmonize. Like you, yes, you exactly. have to have already done that yes. without acknowledging that that's what you're doing. Yeah, well, uh, so it's based off this concept called presuppositions. This was a really big concept back again in the earlier stages. Um, it was popularized by uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, in a book, How Then Should We Live? And this was actually a very fundamental, you don't see it referenced a lot, But the thing is, and this is just a little side snarky thing, a lot of Christian writers and Christian preachers will happily just copy each other's work without giving credit. They will absolutely do that and they will, you know, and they will, they won't even bother justifying it. If they did, they would probably just say that the Holy Spirit just randomly told them. But they will. They plagiarise each other's work all the time. So Francis Schaeffer's ideas were plagiarised really quickly and taken into the ecosystem of this evangelical movement. And so it was this idea that everyone starts with presuppositions. Like they may argue that a person who is an atheist scientist will start with science is correct, which is kind of like the scientific method or (laughs) even that is, but, but you know, that they like, they start with God doesn't exist. Science is correct. And and then they go on their worldview based on these presuppositions. So as Christians, we need to start our worldview with the Bible is inerrant. God exists, you know, and you don't, those are the non-questionables. And they say that everyone has these non-questionables. So it's just what, what ones you pick. I see. And so yep. then you sort of, and so his argument was that culture itself needs to work off the correct presuppositions because if we go off the bad ones, it's just going to deteriorate. So he had this theory that the Reformation was the high point of human existence, and it's all gone downhill from there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is ridiculous, but that was his theory. You know, he's like, we have just our culture, our art, everything, you know, music was organised, there were orchestras, mm-hmm. and now look at it. Ah, yes, the uh, <laughs> degenerate art is degenerate yeah, yeah, society exactly. thing. exactly, mm-hmm. and, and people, you know, you know, women were women and men were men and blah, 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 and yeah. all these sort of like, it's very bad, it's bad history. And his son has dedicated his life to tearing ev- down everything his father did and to trying desperately to convince people that this is the wrong way to go down this legalistic, um, basically Western supremacist uh, yeah, ideology. Yeah. It's terrible. Good, you know, props to him. Uh, but yeah, so you basically, everyone within the uh, evangelical framework has these, pre- and you can't question them. 
Right. I mean, you can question them. But you'll get a – you'll either – But, like, it, it's kind of like, well, that's what you pick. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it's and that's when it gets a little bit to what I feel like you were describing where people were like, oh, you have to be convinced or not convinced mm. when it comes – and there is a little bit of that, and that's why my parents accept the fact that I'm not Christian because I'm like, I'm just not convinced. Like, yeah. deep down, I'm not convinced, and they're like, yeah, there's no argument that can convince you you have to be convicted or not. So they basically – have this weird pseudo, almost Calvinistic, but mm. not quite sort of like either you are deep down convinced of God or you're not. Yep. And everything else, all the logic, all the systems, everything like that, all start with that. So they very much have this kind of um, outsiders aren't going to get it. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't have the correct presuppositions. Yeah, yeah. So anything, therefore, that the outsiders create is it's going to be like there might be some good echoes in it. Yeah, but it's because we're all made in the image of God. But it's fundamentally like. But it's going to be fundamentally flawed yeah. and broken. So that that you can't really like why spend time on that when you could spend time on stuff that has comes from the right presuppositions, and that's when you get people that just have entirely plugged in. Yeah. This. And this yeah. is where you get Adventures in Odyssey, which is, you know, just one tiny element. But it's very powerful because it's because it's well created. Yeah. Because it's convincing, because it for both parents and children it hits sort of things that kinda make sense. Yeah, and, and, and like you say, you know, it's within it's the entertaining context, as well. And it's entertaining and you're like, yeah, the, and but then you end up sort of with adults who have listened to that kind of thing, and they did, you know, they did all sorts of harmful episodes, and you have these very ingrained, embedded sort of it, it's it is it's the power of the story, you know, the yeah. stories, the, the things that you, and it is true what you feed yourself on, and that's why deep down, like beyond their belief system, they are so. Uh, compelled to get people hooked into these systems is because if you do read outside, if you do think outside of it, you do start to hold these ideas loosely. Yeah, because yeah. Well, you have a comparison because because it doesn't take much to take a radically different interpretation. I used to. Um, in my old job in Dunedin, I uh, used to work for the access station there. I used to have to record Radio Church. It was like an ecumenical church service with a different church each week doing the service. And uh, there was a particular group where they would always – they would read these stories about um, – the acts of Jesus and the various things that he did. And I was deep into my my world of darkness role-playing, and my big thing at the time was a game called Mage, which is about how reality is affected by consensus. So if you believe something hard enough, you can basically use your willpower to make the world that way, and that, that's what the game is about. But uh, And so that was that was where my brain was living at the time. And uh, they, they were t- telling the story about – uh, you know, Jesus is um, walks across the water to the boat and one of the disciples jumps out of the boat and tries to run across the water to him. But then he sinks and Jesus says, like, if you if you had faith, you you could have done it. And their in immediate interpretation for the audience was where well, this is why we need the church to, you know, bolster us. But coming from <laughs> yeah. like my brain was just full of mage was like Jesus is saying, no, you can do this. You just didn't you just do it believe. hard enough. Yeah, like, and, and that's a, a fundamentally different thing because one is saying you need to be part of our club and the other one is saying you could do what this guy could do. And it's funny because I heard both growing up, you know, yeah. um, it was interpreted both ways, and both ways were considered correct. <laughs> <laughs> both at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, they did. They had this very idea that you could basically have like five layers on top of every, and all of them were correct. So you know, you might have a something that was telling you something about ma- like like it was symbolism of how marriage was supposed to work, but then also it was actually also about how this thing was actually going to physically happen, and also it was about. The relationship between a businessman and his, I don't know, like, yeah. like, and, and people had all sorts of silly interpretations as well. But there is that very, <laughs> but, you know, going back to the 
uh, radio show and listening to it again, like as an adult outside of um, fundamentalist Christianity. What was interesting to me, which you picked up on earlier, was this like non-consensual. Mm. But what was interesting to me was not only not only did the cousin sort of like do it in this very sort of, but then the parents and Ms. Whitaker came in and they came in and they were like, right, you're clearly, you know, like, like you know, it built up. It was meant to be scary. They were saving them. But they, they came in and they destroyed the kid's property. Yep. And that was that kid's property, and he was a teenager, and they just destroyed it, and unilaterally, there was no discussion, there was no engagement. It was, uh, we're coming to save you, we know what's right. And similarly, with the the episode Mike's Mate, Mike Mates, right, they had that similarly weird relationship with violence, where like when the kid's worried that he's going to be beaten up, Wit's just kind of like, on your champ, you'll be all right, and then the rest of the episode is about by a fluke he manages to get a lucky punch in and beat the bully and it goes to his head but the the core thing is about like violence is good if God says it's okay and that is and again I'm going to go back to the book that I've just been reading Jesus and John White and that was the premise of from the very beginning the the early evangelical movement's message they wanted to counter um, like the pacifist movement, everything like that. They didn't like what was happening, and they decided, no, they wanted to justify uh, basically might is right. Yeah, and, and I, I again, I was raised in a pacifist tradition, but I can see why you would reject pacifism. I, I, I can see why logically you would say, no, sometimes violence is the only option, and that makes sense to me. You know, I mean, I think everything within, but this is this is a different kind of. It's not like violence is sometimes the only option that we have after we have exhausted every other avenue, and there is someone who is clearly trying to harm people that we need to protect. This is a we need to assert our territory. Yeah, and if you do the right kind of violence in the right way it will turn out correctly like when he was defending his friend um god guided his fist and he got his lucky punch in yeah but when he tried to do it to prove that he was tough god deserted him and he got punched in the stomach exactly so it's this very uh it's very nationalist mm. sort of and they do focus on the family very much do tie into they do they did this whole series in Avengers and Odyssey based on different American history which was really bad American <laughs> history um, they did do, do their research on some things but then on other things they clearly are quite interested in the whole propaganda side of it um, and they it was very much uh, and, and again the evangelical movement was used um to go against the civil rights movement or they sort of would support it but they were like, oh, but you have to be careful. There was a very paternalistic, that was either against or they were very paternalistic about it. it yeah, very and, much. and it, I imagine a bit of a, a bit of suspicion about the the version of Christianity that, that American blacks were doing because that's kind of a different thing, even when it looks superficially similar. Oh, it's quite different. Yeah, I mean, they've always had a huge, from what I've seen, and, and obviously I'm very much outside that culture, both being out of America and being Pakeha, um, but what they've always been very focused on social justice and community and 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 whereas evangelicalism has been very focused on the nuclear family individual sort of like you've got god and then you've got the individual families and as long as there's enough of these individual families that are doing right, then they fill up the nation, which will then yeah. do right, and then mm-hmm. that nation can do right. And, yeah, it, it's a very different kind of way of thinking. And, um, yeah, it, it's very obvious listening back to these shows how they were trying to push. You know, you've got the people who who God speaks to, they will tell you, even if it feels wrong at the time, even if you feel upset about it or whatever, you've got to trust them because they're going to come in and swoop. And, and they were always men, adults, 
you know, that were going to come and tell you how to live your life correctly. And there was always a huge emphasis on you need to listen to your parents, you need to do what your parents and what your pastor says. Uh, and it was very much drumming that in to children. Like the worst consequences happened to the kids that were disobedient, disobedient yeah. or rebellious or whatever. Even, even if you look back on some of the things and go, actually, that was a legitimate gripe or whatever, it didn't really matter. Yeah. yeah, so it was very much trying to push this um, unquestioning obedience, and it might not make sense to you at the time, but you've got, and now you've got the sort of unfolding of that culture that we're seeing in the states, where, you, where you've got people departing from reality, and you know, you know, convinced things like elections being stolen or. Um, the COVID-19 as a hoax or whatever. Or and bringing in the giant lizards and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you've got this like few, like few generations now of people who have been forcibly like disengaging from the reality around them in order to engage in a reality that has been growing larger and larger through this huge evangelical consumerism culture. And um, which I, I, I've been, this is sort of thing that's been in the back of my head, but it hasn't really neatly fit into the conversation. Dovetails very neatly with MLM culture, uh, yes, which yeah. you know. So it, there's there's potentially enormous financial cost as well as all of the other stuff that goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is very much. Uh, you do, and you definitely have the whole prosperity gospel side of things as well, where it's like of God. If you're following God, then he's blessing you. And so you're getting money and you're also – but you've also got to give, right? Mm. You've got to give to these organizers. You've got to give to the missions or the work, and that's always very ill-defined. Um, but then if you're poor, then, you know, God loves poor people too and or he might be testing you or it is a time of poverty and you'll have a time of – and, you know, you're and again, because it's a chaotic system, because there's no – true leader in this there's leaders but there's no leader um you can have all sorts of contradicting ideas um of whatever helps people cope with their reality at the time and i think it's whatever helps people feel justified in their reality too i was having a conversation with a friend the other night and we were talking about how people like like the traits of people who are more likely um, to really get not just sucked into propaganda, but to start pushing it. Mm. Um, and uh, we were talking about loneliness and culture and how it can give you a community. And I was like, but it's, that's not the only aspect. I think it's also that people uh, don't just want a community, they want a community that makes them feel good good for who they are and the choices that they've made. Yeah, and there's also um, there's a, a video about, uh, it's on YouTube about the Flat Earth movement called In Search of a Flat Earth. It's like a two-hour video, so it's you know a reasonable time commitment. But the, the conclusion that the guy comes to is that what the Flat Earth people are doing is they're, they're trying to kind of do magic. They're, they're not interested in flat earth because the earth being flat is important. They're interested in flat earth because if the earth were flat and the universe were geocentric, then a whole bunch of other stuff that they want to be true would be true by implication. And they don't have to argue for those things. Instead, they can they can jump up and down about the flat earth. But, uh, you see a similar thing with the Celtic New Zealand people uh, here in Aotearoa. Like, they're not actually interested in whether there were pre-Māori inhabitants in New Zealand. They want it to be the case that that was true because they think that the validity of the treaty lies on Māori being the first people rather than the people that the treaty was signed with, which is how treaties work. Um, and and so they want to argue for this other thing because they think the implication of that would be this position that they don't want to argue for. Very much. And I think, you know, and I think that a lot of people in every movement that you get, you have the, the people who are really sucked in, the true believers, and then you have the people that are kind of either half-believing, wanting to believe, or manipulating. And I think you can see a similar thing with an evangelical culture where it's not necessarily about Dungeons and Dragons. They don't, I don't think – I think there are some people, like my parents, who genuinely believe – like they really genuinely believed 
that that was. But then you've got other people that are kind of like, well, if this influence is removed from our culture, we control this. Mm. And, you know, if we say that, you know, we need to make sure that we support the nuclear family and uh, all these things, then we can make sure that we stay the dominant voice within the culture and that I'll, and and they do very much it sort of does circle back to the whole like um western civilization was the best civilization and we actually uh, the reason that we were successful is because God was behind us. The reason that we, as a nation, and we took this, you know, evangelical Christians in New Zealand take this on. The reason that New Zealand is successful as a nation is because of its Christian heritage status. If we lose that, if we continue to slip into the abyss of atheism um, or whatever else might be out there, um, then our country will fall apart. Yeah, yeah, and and also, I mean, we're we're at time, so I need to get onto the final bits. But another thought just occurred to me, which is that it is specifically for for Pakeha or or other varieties of white people. Um, whiteness is a deal where you exchange the you exchange your culture. You get rid of your culture. You burn it. You sacrifice it. Is gone because whiteness is not a culture. It is the absence of culture. And in return for that, you get to be the dominant thing but it's a way of then substituting something in and going actually but i do have culture and mm. it's this mm. and um, it's this very sort of hollow created <laughs> culture where, where ironically the the best parts of it they've stolen yeah from older cultures. <laughs> and this is where and again we're at time but this is where you often see like the the whole uh people bringing in the the pseudo messianic things into the church and trying to bring in a whole bunch of like random bits of jewish culture without claiming judaism and sort of being like oh we had this the whole time this whole rich cultural heritage this was kind of ours we've just kind of scrubbed off these people there and these people are the bit you know and so yeah you do you, it's 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 like the black hole of cultures yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's very strange well look thank you very much for coming and talking this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation um and uh, if people are interested in listening to the episodes that I listened to, uh, they are they are the two Castles and Cauldrons episodes, and then one called Mike Makes Right, and those are all available on the Internet Archive, so you don't have to go via Focus on the Family and pay them money or anything like that to do it. I would not recommend giving them money; they have plenty. Um, there are two things I like to do by way of wrapping this up. The first is to ask if you have any like specific recommendations. If people have found this conversation interesting, are there things that they could read or watch or listen to that would be illustrative? Uh, would you recommend just going and listening to the Narnia series because it's a really good uh, production of Narnia? Um, yeah, anything like that? I mean, I wouldn't, I can't in good conscience recommend anything. Focus on the family, <laughs> whether or not it's been, but I mean, if hey, if you knew a Fundy family and they still have those CDs somewhere. <laughs> Ask if you can borrow them and just check it out. Do you want to sail the high seas? Um, but, I mean, in terms of looking into uh, the sort of American evangelical culture or the evangelical culture worldwide, I would recommend looking at books like uh, Jesus and John Wayne, like um, The Flag and the Cross. Uh, there's been a few books that have come out since 2020 uh, that have really looked into this culture from people that have been a part of this culture. Uh, I think there's a podcast series called Exvangelical. Uh, there's a bunch of links on my Twitter. Um, and that would be the media I would suggest consuming rather than just going in and picking something from because the first thing is you don't really want to yeah, <laughs> just yeah. uncritically read their stuff and – Unless you've got the framework of understanding from it, you're probably going to get really bored really quickly and just go, "This is this is crazy." I'm, I'm, and you won't actually understand the implications and the messages behind it. The people who have been in there will. So yeah, I recommend looking at people who have left the culture or academics who have studied it um, and their works. Yeah, cool. The the thing that I would recommend is there's a, a podcast series called Trying to Be Kind, which is uh, a group of um, 
role-playing gamers with academic backgrounds reading academic texts about role-playing and role-playing scenes. Um, their first season was about a book which is about a, a role-playing website called The Forge, which has just given everyone who recognizes that term psychic damage by hearing it. Um, I would recommend coming in at season two, which you can probably do if, you, if you're interested in this conversation specifically, because the book that they're currently reading uh, is about the the satanic panic as regards role playing in America. And uh, and the author of the book that they're talking about has some quite interesting takes about the the source of the conflict being in like that idea of there being ways to imagine wrong and that being a threat to the kind of way you are supposed to imagine in your in your Christian life. And their takes on his takes are quite interesting if you're okay with a kind of rambly podcast sometimes. Um but yeah I would I would recommend checking that out. Um finally uh plug plug things. Uh do you have stuff that you want people of yours in particular that you want people to go and check out? Uh well there's my Twitter as long as it stays. Which yep. <laughs> is Sunday's Funny Feminist. I'm going to, I've started a Substack um, to subscribe if you're interested in following along once Twitter implodes or becomes so toxic that no one goes on there anymore. Well, who knows? Like, stabilizes itself and reaches a weird equilibrium while Elon Musk evaporates in a cloud of pure rage. Anything is possible. That would be nice. We, we could have people swoop in, <laughs> crowdfund, save Twitter. Um, uh, but also, uh, I am actually going to be starting a podcast oh, of my own, uh, but I'm not exactly sure when that's starting, but if you just keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah, and just uh, it, last little thing, I'd like to plug uh, the Monarchy Collective, um, which is a fundraiser for people who are being targeted uh, by people on the alt-right um, that are doing research to counter that. And like my little niche, like Christian nationalist like thing is, is like a little, it's not really part of that, but, um, it touches in on what people are researching and on the alt right. And I've seen the impact of that. And I would really like people to support their work. So if you could, uh, if, if you want to go and check out the Monarchy, uh, the Monarchy Fund, that would be great. You've been listening to Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast from Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Tangata o Manawatu. The show was produced and presented by me, Hugh Dingwall, and I also composed our theme music. It's called Sack Jazz, and you can find it at wolfboy.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not go ahead and share it with a friend? You can find the last 10 episodes at npr.nz slash show slash reserved or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want an episode older than that, try searching for Reserved Recommendations on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Objective Realty, or you can follow the show on Facebook. And finally, Two People's Radio is a non-profit community access station. If you like this or any other piece of their fine audio programming, why not fling them a dollar or two? You can go to npr.nz slash donate for more information on how to do that. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.